Welcome to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. Welcome back to the Modern Mommy Doc Podcast. Today, I'm talking with Erin Ehrenberg from Totem Women. We're going to talk about advocacy. We're going to talk about inner work that moms can do to help themselves have a more successful time as working moms. And we're going to talk about the work that Erin has done at Totem Women and how that has changed over time as the realization has come about what's really needed for moms to to move them forward in the workplace and at home and in their personal lives. So Erin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So Erin, let's start first with who you are, your background, why you founded Totem Women, and then how it's evolved over time. Sure. So I am a mom of three at this point, but I came into motherhood sort of later in my life. I became a mom when I was 33 and I wasn't someone who grew up playing with dolls and babysitting. And then as I got older, I wasn't someone who sort of set a timeline around when I was going to have kids. I was pretty ambitious. I grew up in a really small town in Ohio and it was a steel mill town. And I was seeing how people who relied on an industry like that for their livelihood wasn't working out anymore. And so I really hung a lot of my ambition on education and seeing the world. I traveled a lot with my mom growing up. And so I decided I wanted to go to a really good college and was focused on what I wanted to do in the world. And so I was 33 before I even thought about having kids. And frankly, I got married and got pregnant with our first really quickly. And then I also like to tell people, though, I did have two miscarriages later. So I know it's sometimes painful when you say like, oh, it just happened without thinking about it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't always that way. But point being, I was way more focused on what I wanted to do, create, make, see in the world than I was on being a mom. That said, when I became a mom, I was shocked at how much I loved it. I was really pleasantly surprised at how I encountered this softness and gentleness and nurturing in my character that I loved. Because before that, I had been, you know, I'm an attorney. And so I practiced as an attorney at a a big law firm. I ran a nonprofit in the entertainment space. I worked in tech firms and help them go from, you know, tiny teams of three and five people through a series A and series B. And I was leading business development and business affairs. And so always had very big responsibilities. I had an executive coach once tell me that I have an overdeveloped masculine, you know, that idea of like, we're all masculine and feminine. And like, you know, I was very direct communicator and, you know, I don't see it that way. I think it's part of who I am. And, but it made me successful being able to articulate what I want, ask for what I want, 
communicate in sort of a crisp way. And so all of that was was at a certain speed, right? And then when I became a mom, I slowed down really naturally and it was quite beautiful and I loved the experience and I was equally shocked and discombobulated and surprised that no one had mentioned to me that my idea that I would have a baby and go right back to work might not be that way because I might not want that. And so I, when, you know, with Toad, I'm kind of fast forwarding a second. We talk about being whole as a mother. Totem means whole in Latin. And the four pillars that we think about in terms of wholeness are mind, body, ambition, and relationship. And part of that is because those are four areas that are absolutely revolutionized when you become a mother. And, you know, in 2012, I became a mom and there wasn't even a term for the experience that you go through as a woman becoming a mother. I mean, now there's the word matrescence that I think Dr. Alexandra Sachs coined, but at the time there was no way of speaking about it. And so I was really thinking a lot, kind of contemplating during that time, during my kind of entryway into new motherhood about how, A, we don't have the language for this experience. So therefore we're not talking about it. We're not therefore healing. And we also really don't have resources. And, you know, it's funny to me because you hear people say, you know, you get get handed a baby at the hospital and there's no manual for parenting. And actually, I mean, you probably feel this as a pediatrician. There are plenty of manuals for parenting, plenty of manuals for childcare, and you have a pediatrician. But when you are a new mama, you have been supported by your OBGYN through pregnancy, and then you don't see him or her for six weeks. And that appointment is a lot about like, can you have sex or not? Something that many women aren't concerned about at that point. And so I felt really dropped off at the corner, so to speak, without support and was really fired up to create something. I wasn't sure what, but I wanted to create something that would help women at scale, not have the experience that I was having. I didn't know if that was going to be an actual literal manual or if it was going to be a product. And so it took me five years to really get up the courage to launch Totem. I went back to working inside tech companies and became an agent at a big talent agency. But I always had this notion of, I want to start something for modern mothers. I want to help them be whole. In the meantime, I had created a lactation cookie that worked for me when I went back to work at, you know, I got a decent, I got three months off. I was in California at the time and we had, you know, good uh, state leave policy, even though I was at a little startup that was just getting to 50 people. But I, I took three months. It still felt like nothing, you know, because I went back and my breast milk is leaking. I was exhausted. The baby wasn't sleeping through the night. I remember being in a meeting with our CEO and I couldn't think of the word hat legitimately. I mean, I was trying to think of something special. And I just said like, oh, I used to like value my ability to be a crisp communicator. I couldn't think of the word hat and I was exhausted. And so one of the things that helped me was making these lactation cookies because I was finding I was just jamming through my day so hard because I wanted to get home to the baby and I wasn't taking time to breastfeed. I wasn't nourishing myself. And I was always, I think like a lot of breastfeeding women, I was starving, perpetually starving. And so I met with my husband's uncle who lives in San Francisco and he had worked for Mrs. Fields. And I said, I want to make this awesome 
lactation cookie. And he was like, I don't know anything about lactation. He's, uh, you know, married to a man and he was not into that. And, but he wanted to help me. And so I had done all the research around what, you know, nutrient dense foods and how that helps everybody, but especially a new mom thinking about foods that help you stay regular, that aid digestion, a lot of proteins and healthy fats to feed our brains for brain fog and things like that. And also galactagogues. So things that help you produce milk. But my uncle Robert knew how to make a cookie with like a wonderful soft mouthfeel because he had been at Mrs. Fields. So he made this cookie that was bomb and they were working for me. I was like pounding these cookies and I wasn't, you know, I think everybody, no matter what we say is worried about like our body after a baby. They were also like not making me gain weight or something weird like that. I was on track and all of those ways, but they were really helping me. And so I started to give them to neighbors who had just had a baby, friends, colleagues, and everybody was reporting that these really performed and they were addictive and delicious. And so of course, you know, the, the first presumption was like, yeah, start a lactation cookie business. And we did launch with our lactation cookies, totem treats, and they were very beloved and wonderful. And it was the first time that I had had a problem myself, created a scalable solution and put it out into the world. That being said, my background is not in CPG and I did not want an investor. I still bootstrap totem. And I think because I've come from several heavily invested like tech companies, I saw the stress that that put on founders and I saw them lose their way because they were so concerned about investors and board members' opinions and concerns. And that wasn't for me. And by the way, like no judgment, because I think a lot of women especially need that. We can't do it all ourselves. But what I found, especially after 2020 hit, was that I had to make a choice. I either needed to get an investor and double down in CPG and come out with a whole suite of products, or I needed to go into another direction. And so a sad thing happened that forced that decision, which was our oldest child, George, who, you know, really birthed this whole notion of totem and me wanting to take care of other moms. He was diagnosed with type one diabetes the day after Mother's Day 2020. And I had to just really get real with myself about how much time and mental load and emotional load that condition requires of me in order to show up the way I want to for him lifelong. I mean, until there's a cure, this is the way it's going to be. I even know parents with their kids in college with type one, and it's an ongoing concern. And I want to be the one that shows up for him. That's another thing I had to own. Like this is no one's putting this on me. I want to be there for him. And by the way, Dr. Whitney, this morning before I spoke to you, I had to run to school and change a pod, like an, an insulin site. And so it, it, it comes up all the time. So anyway, I had to look at it all and say, something's got to give. So what I decided to do, and I was also, so I was looking at my personal situation. I was look, I was listening a lot to what moms were saying during the pandemic. And so over the years, Totem has built up a nice social following on Instagram. We have a, a robust community there. And my favorite thing about it is listening to moms through comments, through DMs, just kind of looking and seeing what moms have to say. And I was really hearing that the biggest pain point during the pandemic, as you well know, was that intersection of ambition and motherhood. And whether a mother was somebody who had worked full-time and been on this corporate track 
or she was self-employed, or she was a full-time parent, all of the mothers were completely emptied out of themselves. They had nothing of themselves left. And because our mission is to help modern mothers be whole, I felt really called to step into that sore spot. And I also have that background, right? Like, I mean, I, I have the empathy of somebody who wasn't a parent and worked really, really hard. And that's all I thought about. I had the empathy of somebody who was a new parent. I had the empathy of the leadership team who was really stressed out about investor concerns. And, you know, I, I had all of those kind of mindsets and feeling like I could bring that background to bear on helping leaders inside companies who want to build the future of work in a better way and individual moms who want help asking for what they need. It just felt that I was called to move into that space. I see so many parallels between my story and yours. And I think one of the things that you said that really resonated with me is this idea of owning that you actually want to be the one who is really leaning into your kid's care. And I think that's totally true for me as well with my daughter who really needed a lot of help as we went to specialists for her social emotional regulation issues and anxiety issues. And that I knew like in part that I was almost a pediatrician because this child was going to come and I was supposed to be the one to help her. Like I felt like, Oh, this is part of why actually I've had this journey is because like an anointing. Yeah. Like I like, okay. I could either look at it like, how could this happen? I'm a pediatrician. I talk to people about this type of thing all the time, how ironic and horrible, but then I would be dealing with this really difficult situation. Or I could look at it like, well, I have the skill set and the resources and the knowledge base to actually be the person to invest in her care and to make her life as, as successful as possible. And I wanted to be in that position. But what I didn't want, and what it sounds like you didn't want, and you didn't want for other women, was for that then with all the other things that come in with life and with work to then completely deplete me and make it so I had no sense of self on the other side of it. You know, that there was a growing resentment or a growing burnout or a growing stress level that then wasn't sustainable as a result of this choice that I knew I was in part making. I mean, a hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. And I, I think we're so hard on ourselves. And I I think the conversation kind of in culture can become very binary. And I know when I had George in 2012, it was, you know, the person with the microphone inside feminism at that time was Sheryl Sandberg. And so she was telling everyone to lean in and I'm sure her intentions were good. But what I think a lot of us were hearing was that we were bad feminists if we prioritized family and if we didn't go straight back to work after having a baby. And even Beyonce, who I love, you know, that song where she says, strong enough to have the children, then get back to business. I felt all this pressure, like that's what it means to be this amazing woman and this amazing mom. But my inner knowing was that I wanted to sit down. I didn't want to lean in. I wanted to sit down. I wanted to hold my baby. I wanted to slow down. And I didn't see a lot of women who had before motherhood taken the career path and been on the same sort of ambition trajectory as I had who were leaning out. 
And I, you know, I'm grateful today that there are, you know, platforms and conversations around how wonderful it can be to take a pause or lean into family life. However, I do have a concern because there's been so much written about women edged out of the workforce during the pandemic and losing themselves. I worry that we will conflate the idea of self with work and productivity at work instead of realizing that, you know, for example, not to speak for you, but like, I, I know how it feels when you're so emptied out, you know, at work and sort of with the juggle of motherhood that you feel like you're not showing up for your child's care the way you want to. And so it seems like the care is the straw that broke the camel's back. And so you feel resentful at first of that. And you sort of have to peel it back and be like, wait a second, I'm not resentful that I have to take my daughter to this appointment. I'm not resentful that I have to change my child's pod. What's really going on here? I think I'm just resentful that I don't have enough support. You know, I I really feel that's what it's about. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely true. It's like, I'm resentful that when I say to my employer that I need to take my child to her appointment, that there's not enough support there. I feel resentful that I don't have enough support in a childcare sense to be able to lean on them when I need to actually do something at work that I really want to do, that I'm totally fired up to do, right? That it's like the, the systemic support systems, the systemic support is not there I think that we need. And you know, another thing that I want to that I want to bring up that you and I have talked about before in other conversations that I think will be really powerful for moms here too is this idea of comparative suffering because you and I are both white women. You had a child with a very serious health condition, diabetes. I have a child with a very serious mental health condition. And yet I find myself a lot of times feeling like And rightly so. I'm in a place of of privilege. I have, like, if I have to use a credit card, I can. (laughs) You know, I am not living in like complete poverty in, in an underserved like healthcare desert. You know, like so many people have it worse than I do. And that's an absolute reality and a fact. And sometimes I feel like because of that, I didn't allow myself to be kind to myself about what I was feeling. I didn't allow myself to be compassionate to myself about what, how, how real the struggle is for me too, as I'm trying to juggle things because I knew that other people had it harder than I did. So there was a lot of this like comparative suffering that you and I have talked about. Can you talk about that in your experience? What that was like? I can. And can we say swears? Yeah. On your podcast. Do it. Okay, yeah. so, <laughs> a, girl, a girlfriend of mine has two twins with epilepsy and we were talking about comparative suffering. And, and I said, I think it comes down to there's no suffering Olympics, but don't be an asshole. You know, it's, and what I mean by that is there are going to be days where, you know, I'm like you, I have an enormous amount of unearned privilege. I also think privilege is such a charge loaded, heavy word right now, especially it really came to a head in 2020. I think the ultimate privilege is choice. I've been doing a lot of thinking about that word. I think the ultimate privilege is choice and the most privileged people in the world can, can choose what they want. 
And I've been in situations where, you know, my privilege has been on a whole spectrum. I've been in situations where my suffering has been on a whole spectrum. I mean, I look back to when I was 25 and I had no children and I was at a law firm and I still remember the suffering. I felt like I was in jail. I felt like I'd made so many wrong decisions to find myself in a big corporate law firm. I felt stupid that I'd take on, on so much shit. In the moment, the suffering was very real. I might look back at that girl now and judge her, or I can choose to say suffering is suffering. Suffering is a human emotion that we experience. And depending on where you are in your personal growth and what you've experienced, that suffering might look different ways. You know, I've done a lot of work on, you know, my faith and my mindset and all of that. And so I might handle that differently now. But it's not fair to judge that girl where she was as wrong. And so, and but where I say, don't be an asshole is I think, you know, if you're speaking to somebody who has two twins that have epilepsy and they themselves have epilepsy and you know, they're not sleeping through the night and they're afraid that their babies could die in the middle of the night, maybe don't complain to them about being late for yoga. You know, I mean, I think there's <laughs> yes, we've got to be thoughtful, conscious people. And I think where these two concepts are related is that we are best equipped to be thoughtful, conscious people when our own cups are full. And so making sure we have the support that we need, checking in with ourselves and saying, like you said, you know, you realized I want to be the one that provides my daughter's care. Well, that's going to take some work. You probably had to look at your week and say, how many patients can I really take on? Maybe I have to say to my practice, we have to hire another doctor. Getting very real and doing the work of like, I want to own this decision because I've been in the other place, right? Where I feel so overwhelmed by diabetes. I have these big audacious goals with Totem and Chamber of Mothers, and I have a legal practice on the side. And that ambitious part of me, like it dies hard. And I'm sure you feel that. And it's, I don't want it to die. And I want to show up present for my child, for all my children, because by the way, I have two other children who I adore and I need and want to be present for them. So I can make the choice of being a jerk to my husband and feeling resentful that he quote unquote gets to just go to his job and focus on that uninterrupted while I take the nurse's calls all day and all that. Or I can look at it and say, you know, in fact, I have a choice. I could decide that we need full-time support and I could also go into an office. I could also ignore all of this and have, you know, someone full-time that's focused on that. And except for if it's in the case of emergency, but guess what? It's not what I want. And so I have to set up a reality that honors the choices I'm making and then try not to stay in resentment around if somebody else has chosen a different path. You know how like in high school you could join different clubs depending on your interests or things people were into? I wasn't really that much of a club person when I was younger, but these days it feels like having a tribe of other working moms around me is so, so valuable. And it's hard to do in real life because we're all scattered and busy and have our separate lives. 
We have designed the Modern Mamas Club to be that club, that tribe, that support network for you. And we didn't want it just to be about what are the ways we can help you to be an awesome professional or what are the ways we can help you to be an awesome mom, but also what are the ways we can help you to remember who you are as an individual person? Voila, welcome. The Modern Mamas Club is on the scene. It's a community of mamas to support you, 24 access to our video library, live events, workshops, hangouts, relatable mom rooms and discussions, and a resource library and recommendations from yours truly, Dr. Whitney. Go check it out at modernmommydoc.com. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about too, when you talk about that choice about, you know, maybe I need to take more time away and take less patience. And maybe I need to tell my office I need to hire someone, which actually did happen (laughs) a year ago where I said, okay, like, yep, I'm going now to three days a week. Y'all are going to have to find someone else. I think for me, that's where advocacy starts to come in because in my office, it was very difficult to actually make that happen for me on the surface. Everyone, of course, when I said how difficult things were, they're like, oh, we feel so sad for you. We totally get it. Yada, yada, yada. But then when I said, this is what I need, they're like, well, sorry, because that's not like going to work because we have these needs and you're just going to have to hold on a little bit longer. And I feel like that's where cultural change really matters, where like the culture of your business and where the work that we can do outside of our individual selves comes in, where organizations like what Totem has become now can help to kind of change the tide where whole organizations, the society in general can start to see this as like, this isn't me just being like on a vacation, y'all. Like, you know what I mean? And also I'm going to do better work if I can be more present for my child in this way that I want to be and need to be. I will be more present when I'm actually at the office seeing patients because I won't be thinking about her the whole time. A hundred percent. Well, you're, you're nailing something that I'm really interested in. I would say for the last like year and a half, which is this idea of tactical empathy and negotiation. And I got this from Chris Voss, who is now he's this he has a company called the Black Swan and he goes and trains people how to be like amazing at business negotiations. But he was an FBI hostage negotiator and he's also a professor at Harvard. And he talks about tactical empathy and how empathy is your number one negotiation tool. And, and so how that plays out in, for example, what you said about going to three days a week is a person that's in a position like yours, I mean, I think this applies to so many moms right now who are wanting to go back to work, but they are really having to get very serious about the planning of what does that look like? Is it a shift in the number of days a week or the hours or whatever? I think what's a, a key point that's missing when we talk to moms about how to ask for what they need is this tactical empathy. And what you do is you start standing in the other person's shoes. You start by, hey, what I'm about to tell you is going to be really difficult to take because we're a busy office. We don't want to turn away families and we want to show up with the best care that we can possibly give. 
And I want to be able to add the most value to you and to this office that I possibly can. And so I've been thinking really hard about how I can do that. And then you go into your stuff. And it's a, there are a couple of different tactics in there where, first of all, you're like scaring somebody that what you're about to tell them is like you're walking out the door that day. And then when they find out what it really is, they're like, okay, what a relief, you know? And then the other thing that you're doing is you're also acknowledging where they are in this. Like, this isn't something I think I'm worried that a lot of sort of the rhetoric right now around like it's an employee's world and like, if you want your mom's back, you better be ready, manager. It's it's concerning to me because I don't want moms to come in hot and think if we just lay out some demand, it's take it or leave it. And that's the way. And like we need to operate, quote unquote, like men to disrupt the patriarchy. We need to be really careful as we build this new future of work. And because the one of the things that I've learned from doing a lot of research in this space is that people who are leading companies right now, you know, many of whom are women, by the way, I mean, we've got a long way to go, but there are a lot of amazing women that are in very senior executive level positions truly want to create an atmosphere that is more supportive of integrating life and work, but we can't build it overnight. And so I think it's really important to... Number one, I mean, we're talking about a few things here, but number one, if you're an individual that thinks you need sort of a different container for work, get really clear on that, own it, realize that it's what you want, and then think through what does that look like, kind of map it out through the week, like get very clear on your ask. Number two, operate from a true place of empathy where you stand in the shoes of your employer or your partner at work or you know your team and you think through okay if i do drop down to 3 days a week what is this going to do to the system you know it's not going to be easy and so how can i number 1 validate and address that and sort of affirm what that is number 2 reassure them that i'm coming from a place of wanting to continue to add value and to your point dr whitney like i want to show up well i can't show up well if i can't think of the word hat you know, like I need to have my sleep and I need to feel like I can help my daughter, my son, et cetera. And then I'm going to show up in a fantastic way. So I think it's a really crucial time to be having these conversations because truly the future of work is being built as we speak and we're building the bridge as we walk across it together. Yeah, you know, we had a really interesting conversation with Amy Beacom and Sue Campbell from Center for Paid Parental Leave as well around this too, around, you know, when you're having these parental leave discussions, it's really not you versus them. Really, the goal should be like, as a team, how can we create a solution that will meet all of our needs? And that is one thing I like about what's coming out about how to really foster more equitable relationships with a parenting partner in your house, for example, Ivratsky's work, right? It's about a team. Like this is not about these people are horrible and mean. I'm on the executive leadership group at my, my work. When people come with like demanding, like you said, coming in hot, it's this, it's my way or the highway. I'm usually like, Okay, bye. Like, I don't know what to say. I can't, like you haven't even given, thrown me a bone here. When people come with thoughtful requests 
And they do come that from that place really of humanity of being able to say, I can see how this would affect the overall productivity maybe of the organization for the next two months. Here's my thoughts on how maybe we could mitigate that. Maybe that's not the solution that will end up being the final result or outcome, but I think it really does show that you're invested in this being a win-win. Yeah. And you're a team player. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Tell me how Totem moved from, you were doing the cookies, which is like amazing. And then you started doing talks. You were a full resource organization where people could come and hear expert talks. And then now you've moved more into advocacy. So tell me kind of that progression, what it was, and then now what it's become. Yeah. So Totem 1.0 was helping. We've always had a clear mission to help modern mothers be whole. The way in which we've done that has shifted. So, and, and also I think sort of the life cycle of like where a mom is in her motherhood journey. We used to specifically serve a new mom in that first year of motherhood because, you know, she was tender and raw and unsupported and unseen. There've been a lot of people that have come into that space, like super well-funded, like wraparound resource organization. Like it's bodily is fantastic. I love them in that space for one. Loom, Loom HQ, they are on Instagram. They're fantastic. There are a lot of organizations that do that. And then during the pandemic, again, taking it back to listening and like seeing, okay, what resources are available now so that we are truly playing in white space and providing something that is still needed. I was just overwhelmed by how isolated mothers were. And at the same time, realized that I have access to so many resources. I feel really grateful for the amazing people that I've met along the way. I mean, I've lived in a lot of different cities. I've had a very, a great career and I know a lot of people and is, and whether it's in the motherhood space or not, but it really started out during the pandemic thinking, man, women are so isolated and I can get to these best-selling authors and women who run platforms and doctors and psychologists and pelvic floor specialists and activists. I can get to them so quickly. And instead of, I was at one point, there was an investor that really wanted to invest in Totem and I decided not to go down that road. But what I was going to build was this series of courses, like video courses, very well produced around those four pillars, mind, body, ambition, relationship. But then the the pandemic happened and I thought, what the heck? I don't need, it doesn't need to be slick. We'll just drop into women's homes through Zoom. I'll bring these experts in. I'll moderate the conversation and we'll provide them the resources. And so it turned into that. It turned into dropping expert resources into mothers' homes, almost like a podcast, but with video where you could really feel a sense of interaction and then you could have an ongoing relationship with that resource. And again, to your point about privilege, I feel, I know it's a privilege that I've been able to live in like Austin, New York, Nashville, Los Angeles, and know these amazing people. And they're really, many of them are just so kind-hearted and want to help more mothers. So I wanted to try and just make those connections. I think one of the things that I am drawn to doing and I'm good at doing is connecting. And so that's what the talks are really about and Inner Circle was about. And we did it for over a year and a half. And then 
I noticed a fatigue on Zoom. I noticed this desire to start to be back together in real life. And another thing I started to notice was that a lot of women were asking me for more business-related advice. Women were asking me, like, can you help me get a trademark? I want to start a new business. You know, some of the things we've talked about, like, how do I ask for flexibility? How do I negotiate for myself? And I was giving that sort of advice. And of course, I don't want any woman to be working for free. I used to make a lot of money to help people with that kind of thing. And I was finding people wanted me to just give it out in the DMs. And so I thought, I've got to create a business model around this. And I think the best way for me to scale that is to start to work inside companies where I can, whether it's through speaking or workshops or one-on-one office hours or office group office hours with working parents and leaders I want to be able to help groups of people that way and sort of scale in that way. And what was interesting was as I did this, I did a season of ideal client avatar research where I had a number of questions and I was going, I was calling some of my ideal clients and asking them questions. And what was coming up was that a lot of these people were women, were moms who were in the C-suite and they were saying things like, I don't know. I just need like a group therapy for moms in the C-suite, or I feel like I need, I need help myself. And I had one friend who's super senior at an amazing organization, call me out and say, you know, you're posting these things on totem. And it's as though the managers, there's this one really bad manager. That's this nefarious, you know, character And he's like against all the moms. When in fact, those of us who are managing teams are struggling and in need of deep rest. And we're also being called upon to lead and create a new vision of leadership at an impossible time. And we need help. Like, can you help us? And it was fantastic. And one of the one of the things that was so interesting about that was I think anytime you can really go into research without having your end result in mind. I mean, sure, when I first started, I was like, yeah, I would love to sign all of these people up for like an ongoing consulting relationship, helping the working parents. But as I was really listening, I thought, wow, this is this is kind of a fascinating, very real, very kind of cogent cultural problem that I can help solve. And I came together with a psychiatrist and mom of two, an MBA in LA named Dr. Dr. Hillary Goldshire. And she has a fantastic Instagram, by the way. She does like a lot of really great explainers on parenting, positive psychology. And so she and I are developing a program called The Third Way that will launch in this spring. And it's specifically for executive level moms or moms who are in the C-suite. And it's a psychologically safe space, really small cohort, about eight people total, where we will come together and meet twice a month for six months. Every other session, we'll have a specific framework that we're working through, whether it's equity at home, like you said, how do we get our partners or someone else enrolled in care so we're not drowning, or imposter syndrome, really being real about how that shows up and how it sabotages us, or maybe it's how we tend to step into these sort of work-wife roles at work, where we're taking on too much of the quote-unquote care that's invisible, unpaid labor at work. So we're going to get into these frameworks in a psychologically safe space with a brilliant therapist. And I see my role as really moderating the discussion, hearing people out. And also when we put together the cohorts, we're very intentional around bringing people who are ready to be vulnerable and have these real conversations at a deeper level 
not having conflicts of interest. You know, we're not going to have like Pepsi and Coke in the same cohort. And the, the other thing that I was hearing too from these women is we have, for good reason, such a fear of retaliation in the workplace. And so we don't ever want to admit weakness in the workplace. We don't want there to be a bias. We don't want there to be retaliation. And so this is a place where we can say exactly what we're feeling without that sort of fear. So I'm super excited about that program. I am very grateful and do see it as an enormous privilege that I have a platform that I don't have investors and I can pivot as I listen to moms. I mean, it's, it's kind of you know, maybe it's a little bit analogous to the way you listen to your patients. You know, you want to come in and just decide there's a one size fits all. It's like, as I'm seeing moms go through a really unexpected time in the world, I want to be nimble and listen and just leverage my background. And to your question about advocacy, I think I'm a born advocate, whether it's, you know, as a little girl standing up for what was right on the playground to wanting to go to law school, even though I never wanted to litigate, I just have this fire of like, when there is an injustice, I want to make it right. And especially if I walk down a pathway and I see how messed up things are, I want to solve them, not just for me, but for as many people as I possibly can. And that when, when I started going in that direction with Totem is when things really started to catch fire and align. And the Chamber of Mothers, which I've co-founded with eight other leaders of motherhood platforms. And we have over 1,300 women who are members of the chamber already that came together in literally 48 hours. That I, I see that as really all of my work and everything that I am coming together in a very purposeful way. You know, when we came together the night that paid leave went from the, you know, the Build Back Better infrastructure program that Biden put forward. It, it had 12 weeks of paid family medical leave, really, really inclusive, beautiful program, got whacked to four weeks in what we know as about four people in a room making that decision and cutting it down. Moms were madder then than we were when it was finally cut. I mean, nobody has really announced that it's finally cut, but we know that it is. I mean, the money went into defense spending. And so that night that it went to four weeks, I think we all sort of flashed back to like, well, I was bleeding at four weeks and my boobs were leaking at four weeks and you've got to be kidding me. I think moms collectively felt so unseen. And so anyway, we came together, built the chamber really quickly. And it's such brilliant women who are leading that fight. And so even though paid leave brought us together, we are still fighting for federal paid leave. And then within that though, if you don't live in a state where you have paid leave, how do you ask for what you need? I think that's super important. And then improved maternal mental health outcomes and childcare. Those are our first three pillars for the first 18 months. But our whole goal is to create an America that mothers want to live in and want to pass on to future generations. Ugh, I'm so inspired by you. I want to like cry. Oh, thank <laughs> yes. thank you. I, I also, this is the thing that keeps striking me from our conversation, from everything that you're saying. And I really appreciate about, about the way you're approaching this is I feel like you're understanding and speaking to the nuance of all of these 
situations. I mean, there's no nuance in four people in a room making a terrible decision that (laughs) horribly affects all of us. But the rest of it, there's so much nuance about going back to the beginning of our conversation, that that choice, like owning that, that decision that I do want to be this person's caregiver, the nuance of having conversations with your employer or with your organization about how you want to have systems that work for you, or you want to have a schedule that works for you. And that, that there's nuance there, the nuance around culture and around privilege and like, what does that mean? And comparative suffering. And then now the nuance around advocacy and how do we move things forward in a way that's not just about rhetoric or about us versus them, but that really, really works for women. And so I so appreciate you being here. I know people have been inspired by this. We'll be inspired by this when they listen to it. And Erin, tell us where people can find out more about getting involved with you, getting involved with Totem, Chamber of Mothers, all of those amazing things you're a part of. Yes. Well, thank you. And likewise, thank you for having me. And thank you for all that you do to serve families and and moms and model really being whole. I appreciate that. So you can find me at Totem Women. It's T-O-T-U-M Women on Instagram. I'm also on LinkedIn. I think more business inquiries are on LinkedIn. Instagram is like, tell me how you feel and how I can help. And at Chamber of Mothers, we, you can go there and there's a link in bio to join the chamber. You put in your contact information, a little bit about your background and a little bit about how you want to serve. And we are going out for fundraising now. And we're very serious about that. And we have big audacious goals for the future. And we will really, we are enlisting mothers to do the work and to create the world, again, the the America that they want to live in and they want to pass on. So if you feel fired up and you want to do something about it, definitely hit Chamber of Mothers and join us. Awesome. I'm signing up today. Okay, you guys, until next week. Thanks, Erin. Thank you so much, Dr. Whitney. Hey mama, if you want more of the Modern Mommy Doc podcast, make sure that you click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd also be so honored if you shared with your friends and on social media with the hashtag Modern Mommy Doc. If you share about something that inspired you or that you learned from the podcast, we'll be sure to share it on our social media as well. Thanks for listening.